Hello, and welcome to Decarbonize, the clean energy podcast from Fresh Energy. Fresh Energy is a Minnesota nonprofit working to speed our state's transition to a clean energy economy. My name is Joe Olson. I do communications here at Fresh Energy, and I'm joined today by a few folks from the team. So welcome to Michael Noble, Fresh Energy's Executive Director, Justin Fay, Lead Director of Public Affairs, and Anna Johnson, Senior Associate for Public Affairs. Welcome, everyone. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having us, Joe. Yeah, good to see everybody. Love doing, love doing these podcasts, Joe. Yeah, getting the band back together from a couple months ago with our last session update. Uh, we're here today because even though, as of our recording, the Minnesota legislature is still in the midst of a special session, it has been an incredibly impactful year for energy, which, to use your words, Justin, was, quote, against all odds, <laughs> especially when you consider our split control legislature, which is the only split control legislature in the country, I'll add. So anyway, I know the three of you are practically jumping out of your chairs, ready to talk about all the really cool things that happened. So let's get going. Uh, just for our listeners, over the next hour, we're going to talk about significant new investments in solar, new policy support for a just and equitable transition to clean energy, and innovative new decarbonization strategies for gas utilities. Ugh, say that three times fast. <laughs> and maybe at the end, if we have some time, we can talk about some federal policy. So Let's get started, um, but I want to start with a round robin. Using one word or maybe a few words, how would each of you describe this session? Michael, should we start with you? The best it could be. Diplomatic. All right. That's not my word, but that's what I think your answer was. Uh, Justin? Uh, my word is momentum. All right. And Anna? I'm going to say chock full. I feel like no moment of hearing or floor session was spared. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds right. And this is, I'm going a little off script here, but Anna, you were tracking the number, you kept track of the number of bills that Fresh Energy had our eye on and it was like over 50, right? Oh yeah, no, it's, it was in the hundreds. I, <laughs> I don't know what the final count was, but it's, uh, I think upwards probably of, um, 500 relevant bills. And I think that's a low estimate. So yes, very All right. Lot, lots going on. <laughs> well, I think these words really set the tone for our podcast today. The first topic on the agenda is also the first big energy pol policy accomplishment of the year, which actually happened during the regular session. The ECO Act is a landmark energy policy that modernizes Minnesota's flagship energy efficiency program called the Conservation Improvement Program, also known as SIP. And that program's been around for about 40 years. Now, I know Fresh Energy worked on the EcoAct for at least the last four years. And this year, we got to celebrate as we watched the bill, which was supported by a really broad coalition that includes Fresh Energy, cross the finish line, finally. Michael, could you tell us a little bit about what was included in the EcoAct and why updating SIP, the Conservation Improvement Program, is so huge for Minnesotans and Minnesota's climate goals. And then maybe once you set the stage, Justin can elaborate on some of the nitty gritty included in ECO. Well, just start by saying, you know, energy efficiency has been in fresh energy's wheelhouse ever since uh, a cabal of folks got together and formed fresh energy back in around 1990. We've always focused on and worked on energy conservation, energy efficiency, saving energy, making the economy more 
efficient and we've always worked to uh, get the utilities involved in helping to drive it and finance it and make it happen. But one thing that's really fundamentally different is now the focus on net zero, focus on a zero emission economy. You can't save your way, you can't save energy to get to zero. You have to get to zero by saving energy and switching away from fossil fuels. So what really fundamentally happened in the ECO Act is we improved the energy saving program and we started to encourage utilities to switch out um, customers off of fossil fuels onto clean and renewable electricity. So that, that's, the, that's why it was controversial, was the fuel switching aspects. If, if you're in the business selling oil to heat homes or selling propane to heat water, you do not want the local electric utility to be incentivizing people to put in heat pumps or uh, get off uh, you know, a fuel oil burner to heat their home. You do not want that. And um, it, it, it turned out to be controversial, but um, the wonderful story of collaboration is that we had all the utilities, the rural electric cooperatives, their, their trade association, the municipal utilities, their trade association, the big investor-owned utilities like Excel and Minnesota Power and Ottertail, even the big natural gas utility, Centerpoint, all the clean energy advocates, all the consumer advocates, the environmental groups, all a whole cabal of groups cooperating, working together. And yet we were up against big oil and gas who didn't want it done. And we, we prevailed. Well, that's a great summary, Michael. And uh, I, I will just digress for a second here and make the comment that I uh, just had a heat pump installed at my home uh, earlier this spring, and I absolutely love it. And uh, it's for those of you listening who are thinking about maybe it's a technology you want to learn more about. Um, it's, it's money really, really well spent. And uh, your utility um, is getting a whole new uh, suite of tools to help facilitate uh, you getting to make that transition in your home. Um, so it's a really, uh, it's a really great step forward and uh, really excited to be able to uh, work on the policy at the same time that we were, uh, my partner and I were thinking about these changes uh, in our, in our house. But uh, the, the ECO Act itself was a, a, a pretty long uh, technical piece of legislation. So I'm not going to talk about everything that was come close to talking about everything that was uh, included in it. Um, I'm going to know just a few things that were of particular interest for fresh energy. And I think maybe for folks listening. Um, uh, the first was a, an item that we worked really, really hard on uh, basically from the inception of the bill. And that uh, was to increase the amount of money that utilities are required to spend uh, to do energy efficiency improvements, uh, uh, specifically in under-resourced uh, households. Um, so there's a, a current that's a requirement that currently exists for utilities. Um, it's a very, very limited amount of money. Um, and under the ECO Act, it is more than being doubled. Um, so that, uh, you know, there, it, it doesn't, it won't, it doesn't sound like a lot when you read the bill. It's like something like, I, I forget the exact numbers. It's like going from like 0.4 to 1% or whatever for annual sales or whatever. But that, that translates to millions of dollars um, uh, being funneled on an annualized, on an annual basis uh, to support uh, under-resourced and lower income homes um, uh, doing energy efficiency projects. Um, 
the uh, the Eco Act lays the groundwork for uh, you know deeper, more equitable decarbonization uh, in Minnesota to be led by investor-owned utilities and rural electric co-ops. Um, this includes uh, pathways for utilities to get involved with fuel switching, um, like Michael talked about. That's kind of the big uh, aha um, uh, of the bill. Um, uh, you know, switching from gas to electric for water heaters, for clothes dryers, for furnaces. Um, you know, all of those things are currently not allowed uh, to be switched uh, in the SIP program and will be uh, after the bill becomes uh, fully implemented. And that's a that's a big change uh, and one that uh, we were really committed to as kind of the centerpiece of the policy and the, the heart of the bill. Uh, and then finally, I would just note there's uh, under the uh, state law, the uh, utilities have to save a certain amount of elect, uh, energy every year. Um, currently, for investor-owned electric utilities, it's 1.5% of their annual sales, um, and that's being increased under the bill to 1.75%. And again, that's another, this is another one of those areas where it's like 0.25, really? That's all you got? But that's that's a lot uh, when you when you look at the scale of particularly our largest utilities in the aggregate. That's uh, millions of dollars in um, energy cost savings and um, hundreds of millions of tons of, of, of avoided CO2 um, based on reduced energy use. So it's a it's a really really great um, uh, package of accomplishments, uh, and uh, I, I can't say enough about the coalition that Michael referenced, and also want to recognize uh, Representative Zach Stevenson and Senator Jason Rarick, who were the bill authors. Um, uh, uh, House Democrat and Senate Republican who worked really well together and um, uh, navigated some very difficult politics um, to get us to this point. All right, well, thank you both. Um, so as I mentioned before, ECO passed in the regular session, but now let's turn to what happened and is happening during the special session. I'm thinking specifically about the 2021 Energy and Commerce Omnibus Bill, which has just passed through both the House and Senate. And I think it was about 144 pages, and I'm sure all three of you read every single line, right? Well, we did. Well, <laughs> I enjoyed my, 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 it. Michael's here. So yes, Michael, I read every word. <laughs> well, fortunately, I'm only going to quiz you on a few of the major highlights. First off, the Natural Gas Innovation Act, or NGIA. Ugh, it's just, it does not roll off the tongue, but it's important. It passed with bipartisan support. Anna, can you tell us what this means for Minnesota? Yeah, I can get us started. Um, so, as our listeners know, we've made a ton of progress decarbonizing our electricity system, but uh, the story of gas utilities is uh, just a totally different story. Um, and we really need to ensure our fossil gas system decarbonizes at the speed that climate science requires, which is not happening right now. The, those discussions are uh, nascent compared to um, the electricity uh, sector. So, um, you know, we use a, fossil fuels for a bunch of different end uses, heating buildings, uh, industrial uses, um, uh, lots of different things that are part of our, an important part of our economy that we must begin investing in alternatives without, um, 
you know, to avoid the extreme climate impacts of fossil gas. Uh, so the Natural Gas Innovation Act establishes a framework for decarbonizing Minnesota's gas and dual fuel utilities and making new investments in a range of alternatives to fossil gas, including strategic electrification, aggressive energy efficiency, and carbon-free district heating systems, as well as renewable natural gas, also known as RNG. I think that's that's exactly right, Anna. And uh, a lot of that transition is going to be set up uh, in a you know a series of uh, plans that utilities are going to file at the Public Utilities Commission. And um, we don't know exactly when those are going to come, and don't necessarily know everything that's going to be in them. But those are going to be really uh, important opportunities, and certainly things that Fresh Energy will be uh, leading on, uh, participating in actively. Um, you know, fighting for the best climate outcomes uh, as those, uh, you know, first plans come forward and set the precedent for how, how the bill is going to be implemented long term. Um, one particularly key component uh, of the NGIA law that I wanted to uh, just mention uh, is a requirement that uh, the PUC, the Public Utilities Commission, open uh, what we're calling a future of gas docket. Um, it's sometimes referred to as an exploratory docket uh, into the future of gas utilities and specifically how gas utilities can ensure Minnesota meets or exceeds our state's existing greenhouse gas reduction goals. Um, and under the law, that docket must open no later than August 1st of this year. And it's modeled on um, work being done in a handful of other states, um, uh, including uh, Colorado, uh, pretty recently uh, opened one. Um, Minnesota will be the first state in the Midwest to open a docket like this. Um, so it's regionally significant and puts us uh, pretty squarely in the, the first tier, the first tranche uh, nationally of groups, um, having this kind of longer term regulatory conversation about um, all right, we, we sort of understand what decarbonization means for an electric utility, but what does it mean if you're a gas utility or a gas utility regulator? That's a really different set of uh, questions. Uh, and that uh, we're, we're optimistic that the docket's gonna give us a, give a create a venue for um, energy and climate stakeholders to engage, to be heard um, as we dig into decarbonizing these utilities in our broader building sector, which, um, is the fastest growing source of carbon uh, pollution in the state of Minnesota. Um, that was from the Pollution Control Agency uh, biannual report just earlier this year. Um, uh, pretty sobering numbers, actually. Um, I, I want to say residential buildings increased somewhere in the range of uh, 30% uh, uh, relative to, I want to say it was a 2005 baseline number. So we're uh, we, we often think of like, we're not going fast enough on, on, car, on climate. This is an area where we're actually going backwards. Um, and so this is such an important venue and an important opportunity. Um, and overall, the, the bill is a really, really important first step to bending that curve. So uh, I'm, I'm thrilled about this accomplishment and uh, Anna's leadership and Justin's leadership. But uh, I want to shout out a special uh, Fresh Energy colleague, uh, Margaret Cherney Hendrick, uh, who heads up our whole uh, energy transition work category. I wanna say that, uh, you know, in the beginning, when the natural gas industry came to Fresh Energy and said, hey, how about renewable natural gas? Wouldn't that be awesome? Our reaction was, hmm, maybe, maybe not. And uh, over a two year period, Margaret um, led our negotiations with the gas industry. And we conceded 
that there is some future for some gas type fuel in certain niches in the economy, maybe heavy industry, maybe you know, processing food, maybe making steel or cement, making maybe peak or power plants. There's some niche that is very suitable for gas fuel, but it's gotta be carbon free. So maybe it's ammonia gas, maybe it's hydrogen gas, maybe it's a biomethane or what the industry likes to call renewable natural gas, but uh, methane from biology. We conceded those points that those are important parts of our energy future. But the gas industry conceded that electrify everything we can, electrify everything that might be economic to electrify is maybe an even bigger level lever for getting off fossil gas. And so that's why it was so difficult to negotiate this bill is we came at it from very, very, very different points of view. Their point of view is how do we have a future that's decarbonizing? And our point of view is maybe it's not the same as it is now, maybe gas fuels that are carbon free or a smaller part of the puzzle. But I wanna uh, compliment uh, Centerpoint. They were a good faith negotiator. Uh, they're tough negotiators, they're smart, they know their industry. Um, uh, and it was hard to get us to yes, but uh, the two of us went hand in hand, arm in arm together. And without us, this bill would never have passed. And without them, this bill would never have passed. So I really truly wanna compliment uh, Centerpoint what, what I still slip into the old language it used to be called Minigasco, Centerpoint, the big gas company. They did a good job on this and they were they were a credible environmental partner for us. But you know other other folks were uh, in the hunt for how to how to what is the future of gas? The labor industry cares about this. Our friends over at Layuna, the laborers uh, union uh, were an important player. Um, Colleagues over at uh, the Center for Energy and Environment had a, a future gas dialogue that they hosted over the last couple of years we were a stakeholder at. And the Minnesota Department of Commerce is actively uh, working on how do you decarbonize buildings? Well, you don't decarbonize buildings by just having them run on fossil gas. You don't decarbonize buildings that way. So uh, we are very, very committed to um, this whole category of work in an ongoing way. Uh, mobilizing diverse coalition partners, especially our equity partners, our justice partners. People are really dependent on um, fossil gas for keeping their water heated or cooking their food or, or, or uh, keeping their homes heated. But we'll be going to the Minnesota Public Utilities Commission with a full new program focus priority and a major new hire, which we'll be announcing soon uh, to lead up uh, Fresh Energy's work on what does it mean to decarbonize the gas industry? And um, I'm super, super proud of this. I think, uh, you know, I guess the jargon is, is you can't get anything done in America anymore in a bipartisan way. We got this done in a bipartisan way. This was a big deal. So, um, you know, everybody's talking about the ECO Act because it had a thousand mothers and fathers uh, who worked on it. Uh, Fresh Energy and Centerpoint were really uh, the blood brothers who uh, stuck to it uh, to get the Natural Gas Innovation Act across the finish line. Again, uh, our chief authors are key. Uh, Justin, would you uh, give us a shout out to our two key thought, uh, chief authors on this bill? 
Uh, I would love to, Michael. Uh, Representative Zach Stevenson, uh, whose name has already been mentioned on this podcast, uh, had a really good session, uh, but he was the chief author of, uh, of this bill as well, along with his Senate counterpart, uh, Senator Bill Weber. Um, so again, a bipartisan bill with a House Democrat and a Senate Republican. Um, Senator Weber is from uh, Laverne, Minnesota, uh, in the southwestern corner of the state, uh, and we had a great experience working with those two to get this done. Perfect. Thank you. And since Renewable Natural Gas got such a, a shout out in that segment, I want to direct folks who want to learn more about RNG and those really specific uses where it makes sense to visit our website. If you go to fresh-energy.org and just search what's up with renewable natural gas, that should be the first article that pops up. And stay tuned to that same website, fresh-energy.org, for more information coming about the Natural Gas Innovation Act in a day or two. I think we'll be putting up a, a larger statement with a few extra details uh, really, really soon. So if you guys are ready, let's turn to investments in solar. As I mentioned before, the final energy and commerce omnibus included a suite of new investments in Minnesota's growing solar energy sectors. Michael, can you give us a quick history lesson on how this year's package kind of came to be from prior years of work? Well, um, people are often shocked to learn that uh, fresh energy was around almost 20 years before it seriously worked on solar power policy. And that was because uh, solar power was uh, a cute, expensive, fun little niche that wealthy people maybe put on their house. And there wasn't really a solar energy industry. There was no utility scale solar. There was no commercial rooftop solar. Uh, and there was very little residential rooftop solar. But in 2013, uh, Fresh Energy and uh, a solar coalition of advocates and entrepreneurs um, passed uh, five major pieces of solar energy policy in one legislative session. Uh, at the time, uh, Speaker of the House, uh, now Speaker of the House, uh, Melissa Hortman, was chair of the Energy Committee and carried many of the bills and shepherded the rest of them through. And whereas there may have been a total of about, oh, 10 or 12 megawatts of solar in Minnesota over the prior 50 years, We've had over 750 megawatts of solar develop in the last few years, and uh, it's uh, getting up to be a billion dollar uh, industry, um, probably is a billion dollar industry as of now. So um, this coalition or this industry, the, the creation of a new industry creates, uh, creates economics, creates jobs, creates wealth, creates self-interest, creates opportunity, uh, creates uh, politics. There are um, many, many solar industry companies that now have a seat at the table, whether they're putting uh, solar energy on rooftops for homeowners or putting solar energy on commercial businesses or building community solar gardens, the one megawatt solar farms that you can sign up for and uh, subscribe to, or the industrial scale solar farms that may be 50 million or 100 million or 200 million or $500 million that um, is delivering uh, some of the very, very, very cheapest power anywhere in the world. So those solar industries now create um, a dynamic uh, and this year's legislative session um, showed that uh, between fresh energy and uh, clean energy advocacy groups and the solar industry itself, that uh, there's a force to be reckoned with uh, at the Capitol. 
And to, to drill down a little bit, you know, I think there were uh, several specific things that were included in the final package uh, that were you know, unique to solar uh, that are worth just mentioning for folks. Um, the first uh, and probably the, the flagship is more than uh, $16 million for uh, solar on schools, uh, which is a concept been around for a few couple of years now um, and actually was uh, received significant funding this year. $16 million is a lot. Um, it'll go a long way uh, provided it's used well and carefully. Um, and we're really pleased to see that get done. And there was actually a couple additional million dollars uh, for solar panels at uh, state technical and community colleges. Um, so it's actually more than $18 million uh, when you include the higher ed component for solar on uh, schools throughout Minnesota, which is a really great uh, investment. Um, the uh, bill also includes a, an extension, a two-year extension for Excel Energy Solar Rewards Program. Um, solar Re Rewards is the incentive program that supports uh, homes and small businesses that choose to install solar on their properties. Um, and that uh, had been set to sunset, uh, scheduled to sunset, I believe, at the end of next year. Um, it received uh, an additional two years of funding. So that program is now funded, uh, has appropriations in hand uh, through 2024. Um, so that uh, we're optimistic will uh, continue to add um, some stability uh, and certainty to the industry as we kind of come go through the economic machinations of coming out of a pandemic uh, 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 will help. That'll help support uh, a really uh, important uh, uh, job creating industry uh, across the state. Uh, and then finally, there's uh, an innovative, uh, what the uh, solar advocates are calling uh, is a bright fields project. Um, and that's uh, broadly, it's the idea of using solar as a, an economic redevelopment tool for land that uh, doesn't really have other uh, purposes or can't be maybe because of environmental contamination or other issues can't be used for other purposes. And the, uh, the uh, specific Brightfield project that was funded in the uh, legislation this year uh, is a closed landfill that's located in Anoka County. Uh, and that's, you know, you can't do a whole lot with a closed landfill. It's just, it's, it's, just a closed landfill, right? But uh, in uh, this this particular site in Anoka County is gonna have solar uh, installed on it and it's gonna have a you know, second life and a second purpose. Um, and we think that's really great. And there's a model there that uh, uh, can be duplicated and applied in a whole bunch of different ways, um, not just other landfills, but um, you know, mining and mining reclamation sites, um, comparable, uh, you know, multiple use, use applications of solar, solar on productive egg land um, alongside grazing or conservation plantings. Um, it was just an, an infinite number of ways to use solar uh, and integrate it with both the economy and the landscape. And this is a great uh, innovative way of doing that. Thank you both. Uh, let's talk about jobs now. So a lot of what we've discussed today includes new programs from solar to energy efficiency to construction and more, which means a boost in the already growing clean energy jobs sector. Clean energy technologies have just this huge job creation and economic development potential in Minnesota. Uh, however, who does and who does not have access to those jobs is not a given. Michael, can you elaborate on the aspects of the bill that boost workforce development? Sure. Uh, you know, this was a, um, you know, project. I, I definitely want to be clear that Fresh Energy didn't uh, help pass or organize for or write any legislation. But uh, there's a new uh, two and a half million dollar appropriation for a workforce training uh, center uh, called Northgate. 
uh, in North Minneapolis on Broadway. And uh, this is going to be terrific because, uh, you know, this workforce in all candor is, uh, you know, too male and too white and uh, does not uh, provide uh, under-resourced communities the equitable access to, uh, you know, grow careers or create businesses in this industry. And uh, this training center is really going to take that on and try to reverse that. And uh, uh one of the most conservative members of the Senate, Senator Chamberlain, I guess was passionate about wealth creation and business opportunities. And uh, you know, one of the most uh, liberal members of the uh, House was passionate about you know jobs opportunity in North Minneapolis. So this was a one of those special magics that come together and create opportunity. And um, I'm very, very, very uh, happy it happened. And uh, I want to congratulate my dear friend uh, Jemma Staples who as I on the ball all these many years. Yeah, thanks, Michael. We're yeah, we're really excited and happy to see um, that program and that facility get some a major investment. Um, and just want to highlight that Jamez Staples, who is the president and CEO of the Renew of Renewable Energy Partners, um, will be joining us on July fifteenth to discuss uh, the workforce of the future and how Minnesota can ensure broad access to jobs in the clean energy economy, along with a couple other thought leaders. So you can hear from him directly as part of our lunchtime. July webinar series coming up on July 15th to talk more about this project. Well, and I'll, I'll third that. Uh, Jamez was working on this for a really long time, and it's uh, it's uh, very exciting to see him finally get it across the finish line, and um, uh, couldn't, couldn't be happier to see that project move forward. Um, I think uh, now might be a good time to talk about another uh, item in the bill um, that uh, at least I think of is uh, it's not exactly workforce, but it's uh, it's a jobs policy, um, and that's uh, something called the Buy Clean Buy Fair uh, Act. Um, and what's included in the bill is actually a study language. Um, what Buy Clean Buy Fair really is is it's a, a procurement policy for raw materials for public projects. Um, so what that means is, let's say the state of Minnesota is going to uh, invest public dollars uh, replacing a bridge. And that bridge is gonna have a certain amount of structural steel and rebar in it and other raw materials. Um, we should actually be looking at the carbon impacts and the emissions impacts of the materials that are selected to build that project. Um, instead of just automatically going to the lowest bidder, um, there needs to be a climate screen on things like this. That we're talking about often really, really significant uh, quantities of raw materials um, and things like cement in particular is notoriously carbon intensive uh, to, to create. Um, and so having uh, a policy in place that actually puts a, a climate screen on uh, materials like that is a really important um, climate policy. The reason it's also a jobs policy is when you stop and think about where does a lot of the carbon uh, impact or differentiation, maybe is a better way of putting it, uh, between let's say, let's call steel projects, um, uh, products, uh, is transportation. Um, so in effect, um, this policy uh, has, uh, will often have the effect of uh, uh, pointing to local sourcing as um, the best way to reduce the climate impacts of specific projects. Uh, and that's great for Minnesota, where we have you know, a, a vibrant mining industry in the northeastern part of the state. Um, we can actually develop uh, and source 
our steel locally. Um, and a policy like this gives us a framework for actually doing that, uh, the, you know, measuring and quantifying those that carbon savings and uh, telling the story of Minnesota steel uh, and how it can be used successfully here in Minnesota. So that's, uh, that's a really exciting policy and one that uh, uh, we're hoping. Uh, so like I said, this year is a it's, it's study language uh, is what was included, but we think it sets up uh, very nicely a longer term conversation. And this is squarely in the bucket of things that we're going to be talking about uh, again in 2022. All right. Well, thank you. So additionally, much of what we've talked about today focuses on Minnesota transitioning away from fossil fuels, which means that fossil fuel jobs disappear and power plant host communities suffer losses to their local tax base. So what does this bill to help do to help enable a just transition? And for those who will be impacted by the move away from fossil fuels. So first, Anna, I'm wondering if you can give listeners a background on what a just transition is. So can you define that for us? Yeah, I'd be happy to. Um, so when we talk about a just, a just transition, we're talking both about um, the jobs that are created and as part of a clean energy economy, as well as the jobs that will need to be transitioned away from as facilities close and um, you know demand for things like natural gas and coal decline. So too often throughout history, communities, including black, indigenous, and people of color, the LGBTQ plus community and individuals in rural geographies and others, um, you know, who are part of marginalized identities have been left behind in times of transformational change. But as the energy sector strives to aggressively decarbonize to mitigate the impacts of climate, climate change, uh, we have an obligation to both acknowledge and learn from past transition when policy choices excluded marginalized communities at best and actively harmed them at worst. So um, we need to make sure that that the jobs that are be, being created are available to and, and prioritized for folks who are part of marginalized communities and marginalized identities. Um, and we also need to make sure that the communities and the workers who are impacted by facilities closing um, are not left out in the cold, they're not left high and dry, um, but they're sort of, you know, provided the resources and, um, I'm, I'm just imagining like a swift guiding, like helping hand as, as we transition to um, just a new, a new economy. And one of the, you know, one of the policies that uh, was able to get uh, accomplished this year uh, in the, in the energy uh, omnibus bill at the legislature is something very much like that. Um, uh, new uh, funding for and establishment of a new, uh, 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 office at the Department of Employment and Economic Development, or DEED. Um, that's the State Economic Development Agency here in Minnesota. Um, uh, called the Community uh, Host Community Transition Office, uh, and the the primary function of it is to, uh, or at least initial function of it is to cre uh, create a host community transition plan for the state of Minnesota. And that's specifically um, to look at what are all of the challenges and opportunities that are inherent in um, uh, for facing communities that uh, maybe host an existing power plant, an existing fossil fuel power plant that's gonna be closed uh, in, the, in the coming years. And that uh, includes, uh, you know, I think folks often think immediately about the workforce and that is a very complex 
that's a very real problem, set of problems, and it's very complex. Um, and the reality is uh, somebody who's trained as a boiler maker or uh, trained or uh, whose who's trade is uh, laying pipe um, probably isn't going to immediately flip a switch and start installing solar panels. It's just a different skill set and requires a different set of a, a different type of training. So some folks may make that transition, but it's not, uh, they're not immediately transferable skill sets. And so there is actually really uh, a, a much more complicated uh, set of questions that need to be answered there. But even beyond workforce, workforce issues, you know, in a, in a lot of these smaller communities, particularly in greater Minnesota, um, the, the, that host a power plant, the power plant's providing two thirds or three quarters or more of the local property tax base. It's the largest employer in the town. Um, and it's also the largest property taxpayer in the town by often by far. Um, and so transit, you know, what does that mean for uh, local government's ability to provide basic services for uh, the local school district for, um, you know, infrastructure in the community um, when that uh, tax base goes away or transitions out. Um, how do you do that in ways that are more or less imp impactful for the uh, for the community? And then, what are the economic redevelopment opportunities that come with all of that? You know, if there's infrastructure that exists to support the power plant, um, maybe that's a rail line or um, you know water infrastructure or some other transportation infrastructure. Um, are there are there particular industries or applications for that ex those existing resources uh, that might be unique to those types of communities that that uh, can be uh, leveraged as assets? Um, and so having a having a uh, uh, somebody in government whose job it is to work on that is uh, a really innovative uh, breakthrough. Uh, I believe this is only a, a, a program like this, to my knowledge, only exists in one other place, and that's in Colorado. Um, so we're, I believe, the second state in the entire country to have an office like this. Um, so it's a, a great uh, piece to have included. Fantastic. Thank you, Justin. Now, I think we can close out our Minnesota-specific conversation with one final thing. Let's talk about our favorite subject. I see smiles. I see grimaces. Uh, clean cars, Minnesota. Clean car standards, as a reminder for our listeners, are a rather basic and incremental policy change that would update Minnesota's policy to adopt low emission and zero emission vehicle standard. It has turned, you might have heard, into a huge sticking point in the home stretch at the legislature. Uh, Michael, do you want to give us a quick update on, on clean cars. Hopefully our listeners aren't too sick of hearing about it, but I feel like it's important that we like start the process of closing the book, even though it's not quite closed. Well, you know, the important thing to know for starters is the clean cars rule was always completely within the authority of the governor to adopt this rule within the authority of the state's pollution control agency to uh, create a clean cars rule. It was never in dispute as to whether a current law allowed the governor and the PCA to do this. But, you know, we spent a lot of time patting folks on the back for bipartisanship, but this is an example where um, partisan politics reared its head and the Senate Republicans decided it was strategically in their advantage to, you know, beat up the governor, beat up the pollution control agency over the authority that the law clearly stated that they had. And first, they argue that maybe they didn't have it or they shouldn't have it or that they're going to try to repeal their authority. And then they were negotiating. They'd like to delay their authority. And could we delay it for two years? Could we delay it for one year? Uh, you know, 
when the state law is so crystal clear, the governor has this authority, he was never going to sign a law that said he doesn't have the authority. That that isn't going to happen. So the Republicans literally threatened to not pass the Environment Finance Division, the Environment Finance Bill, which was all the projects funded by the Legislative Com Citizen Commission on Minis Citizen Legislative Commission on Minnesota Resources, the so-called LCCMR, the state agency funding, basically the funding for all the employees of the DNR and the Pollution Control Agency, the Board and Soil and Water, the Minnesota Zoo, and close the state parks for uh, the Fourth of July. Well, that wasn't going to happen. The, that, that that was a a bad threat. I, I can imagine someplace the governor Chuck will make my day that, you know, that's not going to happen. So the drama played itself out. And now the last word on it was, oh, we're going to make an electioneering issue uh, on the next election. The good news is that we had thousands and thousands of Minnesota who filed comments saying it was a good idea. Uh, subsequently, the Ford Motor Company announced uh, it's going to put enormous resources into making the Ford F-150 pickup truck all electric, America's most popular vehicle, over 800,000 of these sold, uh, uh, the pickup trucks sold are now gonna have the opportunity to run all electric. Uh, Minnesotans prevailed, uh, the car companies did not, the car dealers did not, and um, Minnesota's gonna be a clean car state. And with that, essentially means is that all the cars that are manufactured with an electric plug will be available for sale in Minnesota uh, because the car companies are gonna be meeting their um, benchmark threshold to sell 5% or then 7% of the cars uh, with an electric plug. And there's no reason for anybody to fret or worry or, 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 or panic about this. If you don't want an electric car, don't buy one. Uh, that's a Governor Walz's slogan. You don't want an electric car, don't buy one. No one's asking anyone to drive a car they don't want to drive. So I'm very proud of this. This was something that Fresh Energy initially uh, spoke to all the candidates running for governor um, before they got elected. And then as soon as Governor Walz came into office, we brought him this policy very, very formally, uh, a request for him to take action. And he did. So... Well, and I, I just want to, uh, uh, you know, this legislative uh, road was not uh, easy or simple this year. And I want to particularly recognize um, both the, uh, the governor's team uh, and the folks at the Minnesota Pollution Control Agency uh, who hung in there um, and fought really hard for this, but also especially want to recognize uh, the, confer the conferees on the House side um, who held the line really, really firm and um, made the, the public case for why clean cars was so important uh, and why the legislature should not intervene. Uh, and those folks are uh, the, the House Environment Chair, Rick Hansen, uh, and then three of his fellow uh, uh, colleagues, uh, Amy Wozlowick, Kelly Morrison, and Peter Fisher. Um, they were uh, really, all, all four of those folks were really great leaders on this and uh, really, really, Fresh Energy is very grateful uh, to them for uh, hanging in there. And I want to jump in too and recognize Anjali Baines uh, on staff at Fresh Energy. She has really been 
you know, leading a lot of the the charge here on clean cars. I think, you know, she started almost two years ago at this point, and this has been her big, big project. Um, so if you've read an interview about clean cars or listened to anything, it's it's probably Anjali from the the clean transportation team who's been uh, interviewed and, and giving people the scoop on what the actual facts are on clean cars. And I think she's going to be on the Electrify This podcast like this week talking about clean car standards in Minnesota. So thank you, Anjali. Pretty cool. I don't think anyone on the call knew that. So uh, breaking news. All right. So we've covered a lot. Is there anything we missed or last Minnesota specific updates you guys want to add before we move on to federal policy? Yeah, I'd love to jump in and just kind of highlight a major accomplishment of the session, which is that the House passed a sweeping large 180 page omnibus bill um, that came out of Chair Jamie Long's committee that was uh, 180 pages of very good energy policy that we need to move towards uh, the decarbonization um, that science demands of us. Uh, And that passed off the House floor um, and and included every Democrat voting for it. Um, So that was a historic bill. It included 100% clean electricity standard by 2040, which had been updated from the previous biennium uh, that had been 100% clean electricity by 2050. So it was even better than the, the bill that passed uh, a couple of years ago. Um, and over on the Senate side, that same 100% standard was offered as an amendment on the floor um, by Senator Frentz. And uh, that, it did not pass, but it only came three votes short of passing the Senate. So. Um, in that body, every DFL member also voted for it. So, you know, we've just set a high standard for the legislature and for ourselves and for the energy community in terms of what we, what we can get done and what we can almost get done. Um, and so I think that's harkening back to Justin's word of the session. Um, I, think, I think there's some momentum going forward uh, that we can be proud of and we can build off of going into next year. And I, you know, I, uh, uh, I, I appreciate that. And I really hope we do build it on the momentum as a, as a, a lobbyist, it's hard for me not to dwell at least a little bit on the things that we, uh, we wanted to get done, but didn't. Um, and the, uh, as proud as I am of the work that we did this year, uh, a couple of things that are worth worth noting that we're gonna, uh, are important for fresh energy moving forward. Uh, first is a, a policy that we worked on the last couple of years uh, dealing with com- the commercial energy code um, and putting the code, uh, using the code as a, a tool um, to uh, lead to better buildings for Minnesotans that are um, more efficient and pollute less. And um, there is a policy that was included in the package that Anna described that passed the house that, Uh, would have put Minnesota's uh, commercial energy code on track to uh, produce net zero buildings. Uh, All new buildings would be net zero by the year 2036. Um, That's, that's actually really ambitious when you think about what the code is, right? It's the, it's the floor. It's the worst building you can build um, legally. Uh, That's what the code is. And that uh, by 20, by middle of next decade, no building would be built in the in Minnesota that that had an emissions impact. Uh, it was a pretty amazing thing, and uh, we didn't get quite get it done this year. We we got very 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 close. 
Uh, but we're uh, we're really uh, excited about the coalition we have on that policy, and we're going to come back and take another big swing at it uh, in 2022. Um, one other thing I'll just mention on uh, when, that we actually did get done uh, uh, this year or made progress on this year, I should say, is probably a better way to put it, is funding for transit. You know, we uh, at Fresh Energy we've been doing a lot of work on uh, electrifying and cleaning up our various modes of transportation, including and especially cars. Um, but that is not a replacement for investing in the public transportation infrastructure that communities around the state depend on. And um, the transportation package that got done this year uh, makes what I believe is the largest investment in transit ways in probably close to a decade. Um, somebody can fact check me on that, but it's in that ballpark. It's, it's uh, $50, 60000000 million in uh, new funding for, uh, I believe it's E-Line is the next bus rapid transit project that's gonna be built out. Um, and that's that's just really great. And it's important that uh, that that kind of investment goes hand in hand with the electrification policy work that we're we've been leading on at Fresh Energy. So wanted to just uh, put a plug in for those two pieces. So I want to chime in and remind people at the very beginning of the podcast when you asked me for a couple three words, I said the best we could do, but the best we could do isn't good enough. Uh, the reality is, is that we got, we didn't leave anything on the table that could be negotiated in a bipartisan uh, legislative arena, but we do not yet have a, a legislature where a majority of the legislators uh, care uh, to solve the climate crisis, care to do it equitable with equity and prosperity uh, to address uh, every aspect of our, our energy profile. You know, the, the physics, of the matter, the plain physics of the world that we actually live in is that we have to get all the sectors of the economy to zero carbon over the next 20 to 30 years, mid-century. And I would say that this afternoon in Portland, Oregon, where the temperature is um, breaking a record that was set yesterday and a, that broke a record that was set two days earlier, I believe yesterday afternoon, the temperature was 111 degrees Fahrenheit. And our children will look back on that and the record will be broken again and again in the future. We are in a climate crisis. The physics isn't negotiating the way politicians negotiate. We need so much more of our, uh, from our legislators, from our legislature, from our governor. We need a response that's appropriate to the climate crisis that we're living through. Thank you, Michael. That's really, really well put. Um, as we close out, I want to take just five minutes, because I know we're running a little longer than normal, to discuss a few federal policies that we're really excited about. And I think this kind of harkens back to what, what you were just saying, Michael, big federal moves that can kind of change what decarbonization looks like uh, in our country. So I know, Michael, you've been a big supporter of Senator Tina Smith's clean electricity standard. Uh, do you want to talk about that? Or maybe speak a little bit about the infrastructure bill? Um, again, we'll, we'll try to keep this part pretty short, but I know we want to definitely touch on some federal policies. Well, everyone should keep their eye on Washington, D.C., because uh, the discussion is happening right this minute of what will be in the president's uh, infrastructure bill. Uh, they call it the American Jobs Plan. And 
will it be a bill that's uh, inclusive of the kind of infrastructure that we need to decarbonize our electricity supply, to electrify everything we can, to um, rewire America, to get off fossil fuels, or will somehow uh, the argument prevail? Well, that's not really infrastructure. Well, of course it's infrastructure. When you see you know, the state of Texas, the entire state come down because it doesn't have a modern electricity grid, you know that electricity is infrastructure. Uh, our own Senator Tina Smith has got the bedrock foundational bill in the entire infrastructure plan, in my judgment, the bill for a national clean energy standard. The president's goal is 100% by 2035, but possible for the reconciliation, a 10-year bill, is to get an 80% by 2030 clean electricity standard nationwide. And everyone should hold up our US Senator Tina Smith for her championship work on that. Thanks, Michael. Yeah, and I, I just appreciate about the American Jobs Plan, the, that there is a just transition focus and 40% of funds uh, would be dedicated for under-resourced communities. Um, there'd be investment in public transit and uh, replacing lead pipes for drinking water. And there's really just no shortage of meaningful projects and investments that, that we could be making um, in communities across the country. So um, I'm, yes, looking forward to uh, celebrating a, a win there, fingers crossed. Here, here, and I, I would just, I would just add uh, to this conversation. I think, uh, keep in mind, we already uh, have had a pretty significant uh, package pass at the federal level. Um, so we've been talking about the American Jobs Plan. There's also something called the American Rescue Plan, um, also known as the Stimulus Bill, um, that passed uh, very, very early uh, in the uh, Biden, uh, the first weeks of the Biden administration. Um, that is now resulting in. Um, um, many, many, many millions of dollars coming to both states and local units of government uh, to support both uh, economic uh, uh, stability uh, as well as just operations and, and of, of government uh, and, and public life. Um, and that includes the opportunity to spend uh, uh, very significant new amounts of money on weatherization um, and energy efficiency uh, targeted to uh, under-resourced communities. And that's a really great opportunity that we're uh, hoping uh, folks here at the state level in Minnesota um, um, work really hard to maximize and leverage to the fullest extent possible. Thank you, Justin, and thank you all. So the dust is still settling from the 2021 session here in Minnesota, but it's safe to say that energy and climate advocates have a lot to be proud of. That said, there's still so much more that needs to be done. And Fresh Energy is here as your clean energy champion, advocating for change at the speed and scale that the climate crisis demands. So thank you, Michael, Justin, and Anna for giving our listeners the scoop on this super productive, surprisingly productive, incredibly productive year at the Minnesota Legislature for clean energy. So thank you, everyone. Thanks for having us, Joe. Thanks, Joe. I love doing this with you. Yeah, thanks, everyone. Thanks to our listeners out there. God, it's a lot yeah. more fun to do these when we get things done. <laughs> <laughs> yes, here, here. I agree. Um, well, thanks everyone for listening and for joining us. If you're hungry for more and want to get involved, visit fresh-energy.org. And hey, while you're there, register and join us for some or all of our four-part July webinar series. It's called The Intersection of Energy and Community. 
Fresh Energy staff will be joined by thought leaders and change makers from, from Minnesota and from outside of Minnesota to discuss how to dramatically reduce carbon emissions in a way that improves our communities and benefits everyone. And I want to extend a special thank you to Great River Energy. They're sponsoring two of the conversations featuring the workforce of the future and electricity instead of gas. And in case you missed it, we've also just announced the keynote speaker for our 2021 virtual benefit breakfast. We're calling that event Future Focus, the new climate economy. It will take place on October 14th. And we are so pleased and excited to welcome award-winning climate tech entrepreneur, Danelle Baird, CEO of Brooklyn-based Block Power, which I feel like Block Power is everywhere right now. So if you Google Block Power, I think you'll see a big write-up in the Washington Post and Danelle will be with us in October. So register and join us then. I'd also like to remind everyone, and I know you know this, but a reminder never hurts. You can support Fresh Energy's work by making a donation today. Visit our website at fresh-energy.org and click donate in the upper right corner. And that is where you will also find the place to register for the benefit breakfast. Thank you everyone for listening and until next time, uh, stay tuned for updates on our website.